Welcome to Cardboard Conjecture. We're a podcast about board games where we have opinions and conclusions formed on the basis of incomplete information. This episode of Cardboard Conjecture is brought to you by these great Saskatoon businesses. Amazing Stories Comics on 8th Street, Dragon's Den Games on 8th Street, and Breakout Escape Rooms on Faithful Avenue. Hey there, how's it going, eh? This is What You've Been Playing Wednesday, and this is a special weekly episode where a bunch of us content creators come together and uh, let you know what we've been playing recently. Right? Right? Okay, so on this episode are The Meeple Dungeon, Meeple and the Moose, Andrew Bookholz of BoardandGame.com, Board on the Air, Dice and Dragons, The Tabletop Bellhop, The Bridge City Board Gamers Community, and Cardboard Conjecture. And as always, please have a look at the show notes for the links to the cast, and enjoy! Hello everybody, it's Rob and Anna-Marie from the Meeple Dungeon. And we are recording for your What You've Been Playing Wednesday's podcast from, what's this place called? Camp Arbuckle. Camp Arbuckle out here in... Uh, Lake Country. In Lake Country, BC. <laughs> I, wanna, I always want to call it, um, not Lake Country, I want to call it... Winfield? Winfield. It's not Winfield anymore, it's Lake Country, BC. This is about half an hour north of where we live, and we are at our family reunion. Yeah, so excited, having so much fun. Yeah, so we're in like a... We rent out a uh, Girl Guides camp sort of uh, area yeah. where there's some uh, like multi-purpose areas where we're currently at, kind of like a living room sort of thing. And then there's an industrial uh, kitchen and then there's some sort of uh, like barracks <laughs> style, <laughs> style thing going on there. So we're recording regardless of where we're at, we're recording. And I'm going to try to upload this through using the Wi-Fi from my phone. So we'll see how it works. At the end of this. But uh, it is What You've Been Playing Wednesdays, and we've been playing one game. What game have we been playing, Anna-Marie? We have been playing Longshot the Dice Game that is designed by Chris Handy, art by Klaus Souza, and published by Perplexed. Yes, Longshot. So <laughs> Longshot the Dice Game is an excellent, uh, actually it's a roll and, roy, roll and write. Roll and write game. Horse game. <laughs> um, Horse racing game. So I have a uh, a love for horse racing. Not the real horses. It would be super um, fun, I think, like to go to like the Kentucky Derby. In the world. I don't have a big uh, anything, actually, to do with that. But I love electronic horses, especially since when I was really young and I used to watch, uh, when I first went to casinos, and I used to watch the little animatronic horses physically running around a, a little uh, a little raceway <laughs> I, I fell in love with horse racing i'd throw quarters and loonies and toonies at that to see if i could win uh something from the <laughs> yellow horse winning right whatever it was yeah and this kind of is that but in a roll and write yeah scenario so how does this game work it um everybody has a player board yep and a and then there's the main uh board, track it's like which the race has, track. It's, it's literally just a horse track it's just a, a round and round yeah. track Oval with, um, I think there's eight 
Is there eight? Eight horses? Yeah. I think so, yeah. I think there's eight horses yeah. of all different colors and different names. Yeah. And these horses are going to move along the track. And they're going to move by everyone rolling in clockwise yeah. order. Yeah, and you have two dice. You yes. have um, a number die, and it only goes up to three. It's like one, yes, two, or the three. The most you can move is three. Yeah, yes. and then you have a color die, which is, I don't even know what kind of die that is. It's got all weird sides and uh, I don't know. Well, it's eight. Is it? Yeah, it's an eight, eight-sided eight die because oh. there's eight horses. It just looked weird, but maybe it's because it was white with the colors yeah, and just I seemed... believe it's an eight-sided die. Okay. One color representing each Oh, yeah, that would make sense, horse. wouldn't it? <laughs> Purple, yellow, red, green, blue, whatever. Eight yes. sides make sense. Yeah, so you're going to roll, on your turn, you're going to roll the die. Two, these two die, and one's going to, it's going to show you a, a numerical uh, number, one to three, <laughs> or a, and a color. Yes. Orange, red, yellow, purple, blue, whatever it's going to show. And that's going to show you the die, and or, or the um, the result is going to show you where the horse is going to what move horse is moving. To. So it'll say blue horse, like say uh, I think there's actually there's a dark two blue and a light blue. Horses, yes, light blue and dark blue. So let's say yellow. Yellow is going to move ahead <laughs> three spots because of you the rolled a yellow three. showing and a, and a three on the other die, and he's going to roll ahead. And then on the bottom of the card representing so the yellow horse. I don't think we said that. You you also have. Um, you lay out a card for each horse. So there's yes. a different colored card. And every time you roll that colored horse, so the yellow horse, for example, you find the yellow card. And on the bottom, there will be minimum one X on yes. it. And yes. whatever, and there will be all eight colors, yellow included as well. Yep. And whatever color is X'd off on the bottom, that horse gets to move ahead one space. Yes. So every horse car is going to. Every time you roll for that particular horse, they're also going to move ahead a certain At least number, one other. At least one. Or Could be usually more. Usually two, three, four other horses because, yeah, a space. And that's that's a big deal. So as you go through this game, you're going to be... Um, you're going to be... Rolling and writing. Rolling and writing <laughs> in many, many ways in which you're going to be adding uh, helmets to your scorecard in which that gives you access to actually betting on the yeah. horse that you think is going to win. So you have a helmet for each color horse and when if when you choose to X off one of those helmets that will allow you to bet from that horse. Yes and there's also the jerseys and those jerseys are going to allow you to do They um, allow you to put an X on the bottom yes. of one of the cards. So let's say um, on the yellow card, I crossed off. I put an X. I used the jersey, and then I put an X on the red, uh, the red horse. Yep. So then every time now that the yellow uh, horse is rolled, the red is also going to get to move forward one. Yes. So if I was like really betting hard on the red horse, and I kept throwing, uh, rolling, uh, scratching off the jerseys, I could mark off the red on like as many cards as I could yep. to give it more chances to move ahead. Yeah, and there's a few other things you can uh, decide to choose on your turn, whether you want to uh, cross off one of the helmets, cross off one of the jerseys, or cross off one of... Um, there's a little bonus board on the side. It's like a specialty side. box, yeah, where you can cross off for bonuses. And you so, get like a row or a column, and you get to yeah, pick a bonus. Yeah, exactly. If you fill in a full column or a yeah. full row, then you get the associated bonus with that, which will allow you to, say, uh, get a free... A bet, yeah. or move a horse forward three spots, horse. or uh, two other sp horses back two spots, yeah. or something like that. So you get all these kind of bonuses, and that's 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 the general idea of this. And it's going to be the first three horses to cross the finish line ends the game. Yeah, they place first, second, and third. And yes. if, if you made a purchase of one of those horses yes. during the game, you're going to get some sweet bonus points. Exactly, because along the way you can't you do have the option to. 
purchase horses if you have the amount of cash on hand yes. that you need to. Because you have a finite amount of cash. You start the round with $12. $12 and then you're going to be spending that money on bets and on various other things. Yeah. So at, at any point, if you have the amount of money that it would cost to spend to purchase a horse that you think is going to win this this race... Then great, and you could spend that money. You could purchase that card, and you put that card in front of you. It's going to give you a little extra bonus, kind of uh, specialty power yeah. thing you can do. Um, and then at the end of the race, if you in fact own one of the top three horses, you're going to get an, a 15, 25, and thirty-five yeah. extra points. That's how I, I won the is. first game, and that's enormous <laughs> amount. Yes, you slayed the first. I'm the game only one who bought a you horse, bought the, the and first I first place ended horse, up she, winning. Exactly, that horse won thirty-five. Yeah. extra points so you destroyed us yeah but yeah that's how this game works and it's actually quite easy um yeah. and it was a lot of fun and it's money money wins the game it's, it's all about the dollars exactly so at the end of the game once you calculate up um your horse uh, if you had purchased one where it sat um and then there's and then you make points. bets on where they place yeah, and those, where they where they those give you money yeah or wherever points, you yeah. placed bets versus where they finished you get X amount of points and then points for buying the obviously helmet and jersey of a certain horse and for uh, all these certain things. But overall, yeah. uh, you just want to bet on the right horse. Right. <laughs> so you want to be in that top three. And it's so good. And it finishes in about 15, 20 minutes. You can play this game two, three times in a night. Easy. And have a fun time the entire it's, time. Yeah, it's one of those where people can sit and get AP, but I, it's not not common because you just want to no, keep going. Oh no. and, and you got the whole, you know, it's a horse race, so you're going quickly with it. And yes. it's fun. I so, quite, it's it's a ton of fun. It's great. And we brought it with us here to the family reunion down here in Cars Landing. And uh, we might play it again uh, here tonight. But we yeah. are eight <laughs> and a half minutes into our recording here. So we're going to run. So that is Long Shots, the dice game. And we <laughs> will uh, see you next week, okay? Cheers. Have a good one. See ya. Bye-bye. <laughs> Hello, my name is Alex, and I write board game reviews over at MeepleInTheMoose.com, and I'm here to talk about the games I played for this week for Watchmen Playing Wednesday. It's the hottest week of the summer, and that generally turns me into a pumpkin. I'll be the first to admit that I don't deal with extreme temperatures well, which is why I moved away from the Canadian prairies to the temperate BC coast. I know many would chuckle at me when I complain about our plus 30 degrees Celsius, or 86 for those measuring in Fahrenheit, but still. Even with me being a miserable puddle of human, I did get a few board games played, and I'm sure you'd all would much rather hear I talk about those than how much I dislike the heat, so here we go. Sometimes I have a hard time sleeping, but be getting up at 5am does award me with some quote unquote free time where I can engage with my hobbies as there is a dire need to maintain quiet in the house lest I awaken the sleeping toddler and draw the ire of my wife. This week I had one such day, so I broke out Bullet Heart's boss battle mode. Bullet Heart is designed by Joshua Van Langenlam and published by Level 99 Games. This is a puzzly, pattern matching, push your luck game with wildly variable player powers and bosses to test you metal against. In a game of Bullet Heart, you choose as any one of the eight heroines to play as and another one to act as the boss. Each character and boss has their own unique abilities and pattern cards. A round of the game starts with each player taking 10 tokens into their bag and filling up their hand to the hand limit with the pattern cards. 
During your player phase, you can choose to use your action points to activate minor skills along the left or the right hand side of your board, choose to activate one of your pattern cards, or draw a token from your bag. Each token, or bullet, that you draw from your bag has a color and a number. You align the token to the matching color column, and then count down the number of equal empty, uh, empty slots equal to the number on the token. Should the bullet hit the bottom of the row of your player board, it gets whisked away and covers one of your life points. Should all of your life points get covered, you lose. Your pattern cards will depict several ways that you can clear bullets from your board. Many will require bullets to be in a specific orientation and may require specific empty squares are observed or that certain colors and or numbers are in the correct spots. Any bullets you clear from the bag are sent to the boss. Once all the tokens are out of your bag and you choose to end the game, gameplay flips over to the boss phase. In the boss phase, a boss pattern is first assessed. This pattern searches for an orientation of bullets on your board and will punish you if you don't meet the criteria. Again, every boss is different and each will require different patterns and hurt you in wildly different ways. Once the bottom pattern has been assessed, any bullets that you had sent to the boss during your phase try to break an enemy shield. Whether or not you broke a shield, tokens are taken from the, general, the central supply equal to the number on the boss's player sheet. Uh, generally, the more shields that are broken, the more tokens that get put into your bag, and play just flips back over to the player phase. The player draws patterns up to their hand limit and resets their AP back to the maximum amount, and you go again. I'm self-professed not a solo gamer, but I will admit that the puzzly boss battle mode of Bullet Heart has captured my heart and mind. The boss is quick and easy to manage and creates a challenging opponent to crash against. Of course, some characters are beating certain bosses and other characters. For instance, I played as Edelheid Beckenbauer against three that with points five times and lost every single time. But the first time I went up against the Bach, I decimated the challenge without a problem. The multiplayer mode of Bullet Heart has a real-time component, which I hope injects a level of chaos and anxiety into the mix, as I know I really enjoy that kind of gameplay. I absolutely cannot wait to try it with other players, and I'm, even look and I'm really looking forward to exploring all the different bosses. I'll try not to blather on endlessly about Bullet Heart, but you can definitely look forward to hearing more about this game in the coming weeks now that I finally have a copy in my hands. The other game I played this week is Viticulture World. Viticulture World is the cooperative expansion for the Stonemaier Games classic Viticulture. This expansion, designed by Mirhar Shah and Francesco Testini, turns the competitive game on its head by forcing collaboration. Now, in order to win, each player must reach 25 victory points and collectively earn 10 influence points within 6 in-game years. Viticulture World was a really neat experience. It felt like a wholly different game instead of an expansion. It invoked nice, fuzzy feelings to discuss and make plans on how we could all work together to ensure we would achieve our goals. Some of the big differences include limiting the action spaces to only two workers each, and forcing some of your workers to be dedicated to just the spring or to the winter, unless you spend an action and some cash to train them, which would allow them to play in either the winter or the summer. We played the introductory Green Gully scenario, which gently introduced, introduced us to the new mechanics of Viticulture World. And I'll be honest, even though the base game of Viticulture is the same, we're still planting grapes, harvesting those grapes into our crash pads, making wine and fulfilling contracts, this really felt like a whole new game. I'm really looking forward to exploring the other continents, which are just a deck of event cards. 
The Green Gully events definitely gave us a lot of assistance in ensuring we would all reach our goal before the end of the game. I have a suspicion we'll be playing this again very soon, so I'll be sure to report back on my thoughts after a second or third play. And that's all I have to talk about this week. If you want to check out my full board game reviews, you can find them over at MeepleandTheMoose.com. I have photos of my gameplays over on Instagram at MeepleandTheMoose, or you can follow me on Twitter for random thoughts at MooseMeeple. Have a happy Wednesday. Hi, this is Andrew Buckles of BoardingGame.com, and I'm here to talk about what I've been playing. This week, I'm going to talk about The Grand Carnival. The Grand Carnival was first published in 2020 by Uproarious Games. It's designed by Rob Kramer and illustrated by Ryan Goldsberry. I was in Columbus, Ohio for work last week, and I got to meet up with my friend Carl Gannon at the Buckeye Gamer on Twitter and play a couple of games of The Grand Carnival, as well as some other games, at the great Beyond the Board game store in Dublin, Ohio, just outside of Columbus. So let's go into some more detail on The Grand Carnival. It's a one to four player game with a listed playing time of about 45 minutes to an hour, but it can go even faster than that once you're familiar with the game. In this game, players are each trying to build the best possible carnival. You have your own carnival board or fairground, and you're going to fill that fairground with foundation tiles, which have a combination of foundations for attractions and paths to let guests walk through. You're then going to build attractions on those foundations and move guests through the fairgrounds to the different attractions and possibly eventually to the big tent at the end. The game is played over seven rounds, with each round representing a single day of the week. You start with Monday and work all the way through to Sunday. In each of those rounds, each player will have five actions, ranging in strength from level 1 to level 5. On your turn, you do one of those actions. You can pick which level you're going to use. The first possible action you can do is placing a foundation tile. There's a rail yard board that has an offering of different foundation tiles with the lower level ones being face down and then the higher level ones being face up. As tiles are taken, it slides down in a standard market style, so ones have been out there for a while become a little cheaper to get. You can take a foundation at the strength of the action you're executing or at a lower level. When you take one of these foundations, you put it into one of the foundation spots on your carnival fairgrounds board. And you don't have to start right from the entrance. You can build further in right away if you wish. The next option is to build an attraction. To build an attraction, you take one from the supply of the level you're executing the action at or below. So if you're executing your level five action on this, you could take a space, an attraction that covers five spaces or one that covers fewer spaces. But the trick here is that you have to immediately be able to build this attraction on the mallets on foundation tiles already placed into your fairgrounds. So you need to be very careful when you're placing these foundations to line up mallets in the right amount of spaces that will allow you to build the attractions you have your eyes set on. 
The last possible action is moving guests. And here, the strength of the action you take tells you how many spaces you can move one guest. Guests have to move on open spaces, not on construction sites and not on attractions themselves. You want to arrange them between attractions so that they will produce tickets for those attractions. The larger attractions can hold more tickets than the smaller ones. You also want to eventually get some guests to the big top at the end, as that helps in your scoring. Another thing to keep in mind is that each game of the Grand Carnival features free tricks of the trade. These are special bonus powers that you gain access to for the rest of the game by meeting the condition on them, and they usually let you break the standard rules of the game in some way. I really liked the Grand Carnival. There are a lot of games that have tried to use an amusement park theme, but I think this is one of the best ones that has pulled it off. It feels very much like you are building this carnival or amusement park. There's an interesting spatial challenge in getting the foundations to line up just right for the attractions you want to build, and there's interesting player interaction, which is boosted by scoring that rewards you for getting lots of attractions of a specific size, attractions of all five different sizes, and several other things. You can see what other people might be trying to go for, and you may have some incentive to do it yourself before they can. The scoring here is also very cool. There are a lot of different potential things that can be rewarded from moving guests all the way through the park, to building lots of a particular size of attraction or to building all sizes of attractions and getting at least one ticket on them or to getting a lot of tickets. So each game is going to present you with its own different puzzle. And that's especially true when you consider the different tricks of the trade that will show up in each game. I liked this a lot as a two-player game, too. There was a good sense of head-to-head -head tension, and there wasn't a lot of time awaiting for your turns. Uproarious Games just finished a Kickstarter for a reprint and an expansion for the Grand Carnival, so there may soon be more ways to get your hands on this one. I'm Andrew Buckholtz. You can follow me on Twitter at Andrew Buckholtz, B-U-C-H-O-L-T-Z and you can find my board game writing at boardandgame.com. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm David. And I'm Jordan. And we are Board on the Arrow, weekly radio show in Saskatoon, and this is What Have You Been Playing? On tonight's show, we are going to talk about Founders of Gloomhaven. Yeah, it's a one to five player. It does have a solo player, so one to yep. five, and it's tech tree. Yeah, it's a tech tree supply chain game, it's a little bit similar to like a brass. Yeah, I, I haven't played it, but it gets compared to the Great Zimbabwe a lot. Uh, although everybody says they like this one because of the single player. Although the Great Zimbabwe still has a, a, a large following. Yeah. One correction. Sorry. Yep. It's a one to four player game. <laughs> one to four player game. Uh, I think the biggest bashing of this game, before we get into what this game is, is that it has Gloomhaven in the title. 
and it really has nothing to do with Gloomhaven. Uh, the only connection is that the same designer, Isaac Childress, made this one and the Gloomhaven series. And the idea is that you're building the city of Gloomhaven is what he says. Yeah, it's it's loosely based, and a lot of people bashed it that it was a cash grab to play on the Gloomhaven name. Yeah, but there's other series that do something like that. There, there's lots, and, you know, we just had it from Board and Dice with uh, the founders of Teotihuacan, was it? Zolkin, I thought. Found- Might have been founders of Teo. Yeah, I think it's founders of Teotihuacan. Uh, similar th- theme where it doesn't really have that much to do with the original, but they put it in the name. Yeah. Okay, let's get to Founders of Gloomhaven. Uh, so, you're going to have your own race. similar. So, like Gloomhaven, there's the eight races. So, yep. that's another thing, is that you have your eight races. Each of them starts off with their own resource that they always will have. And then they each of you has to pick a different resource to tie into that. Yes. So, you're always going to have all eight of the resources in the game. Just sometimes one race will have... Sometimes there would just be neutral resources that anybody can build. Yeah, there's the eight basic resources and that uh, lead to that next level. Uh, I guess seven of them lead to the next level, right? No. Or do all eight? All eight have an upgrade okay. with them. Uh, you're going to be doing your actions via cards, similar to... Uh, uh, Concordia. Concordia. Or... There's a lot of games that use... You play a card, you take that action. Yeah. So you can play a card to put out your your resources, to put out someone else's resources, to buy access to someone else's resources, to get more cards, to do more actions, to, if you have the connections, you can upgrade them to get to the level 2 resources, or if you have the things for the level 3 resources, you can do that as well. Yeah, and then all three of the resources are used to build the prestige buildings. Yeah. And that's the your timer in the game, is each... Every time, or well, there's basically five different cards or four different cards. There's five cards off the start. Yeah. In a four-player game. Yeah, in a four-player game, right, exactly. And there's, you know, you're getting resources, you're... uh, Expanding your network. Expanding your network, you're building stuff, or buildings. Yeah, getting new characters to give you better actions. Yeah, and... And then the the card that brings your cards back into your hand is you're holding... Is it a festival? In this you one? hold a vote. Hold so a vote. Play it. You get your cards back. Everyone else gets income. Yeah. And then you all get to look at how many these of these clear crystals or red crystals you have to vote with. And you're voting on one of three prestige buildings to put onto the board. Yeah. Each of them has their own special effect. And you're voting for one that helps you the most via... This has the resources I, I'm producing most of. And yeah. Yeah, and each of the prestige buildings gives you an ability to, if you put your worker on it, to uh, get a special, uh, something that breaks the law, rules. Yes. Yeah. Right? Another action. Another action. And, you know, every time somebody holds a vote, which is fairly frequent off the start because people want their cards back yeah and a little bit longer as the game goes on depending on who how how it's playing out yeah people, uh, everyone's buying cards then it's going to take longer if no yeah. one's buying cards then exactly and you get seven cards or once you 
complete seven of these, which means you six. bring resources. Is it six? It's six. Okay, bring six the resources to six of these prestige buildings. Then the game ends. And it just ends. Yeah, and it, it ends right at that point. Nobody gets to do anything more. Uh, yeah. As you connect those resources to those prestige buildings, the people that own that resource are going uh, to get victory points. Uh, if it's a level two, they'll get victory points, and what's connected to it will get victory points. And a level three, same thing. It, it cascades down. Uh, so you're not out of it if you're only... If you've only built the level one buildings, you're not going to get as many, or level one resources, you're not going to get as many but you're not, victory points, but you're not out of it. Yeah, you're not getting nothing. Yeah. Uh, we ended up in a tie when we played, me and one of the, me and Norm, and he won on a technicality, we'll say. A tiebreaker. Technicality. <laughs> yeah. Tiebreaker. I, I'm not a huge fan of tiebreakers in games, but it happens, right? Yeah. I've won on them, and I've lost on them. It happens. Yeah. Uh, I, I really enjoyed the game. I, I thought it was a lot of fun. I was a, it was a brain burner as what you, what you wanted to do on your turn. Yeah. There, there was good decisions. Oh, yeah. And it definitely has one of the small features that I really enjoy that I don't... Not a lot of games do as far as I know, but it's the closed economy where it's like, oh, I want access to this resource. I have to pay that person to get access to that resource. Yeah, going back to this one, we, we had started it a long time ago and just never, we got tied tied up or called away and didn't get to finish the game. And, and since we had done that, we had played uh, Anno 1800. Mm -hmm. And this one has a similar feel of that. I don't have to build everything to build the next levels. I just yeah. need to connect them. But right? you also have to be careful that someone else isn't have everything. So when you connect it, they're like, oh, now I'll do this. Yeah, exactly. There's, there's a lot of intricacies as to how you're playing this game out and when you want to connect it, when you don't want to connect it. It's aggressive tech tree with racing and yeah. dice actions. Not dice action, card actions. And whenever someone does an action, you can just follow and do something else. Yeah, that's one thing we didn't mention is somebody plays a card and everybody gets to follow that action. Sort of race for the galaxy-ish. Uh, really like that in games. And, and I like this because... You're always in, engrossed in it. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, it wasn't... In Boone Lake, they used this, but I found Boone Lake was such a brain burner that I was exhausted when I finished it. This one, there was there was lots of good decisions, but the follow actions didn't burn you out as much as the Boone Lake did. I, no, I, I didn't the think. follow actions were just a simpler version of the main action. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Founders of Gloomhaven uh, gets a little bit of a bad rap, but there is a good game in there, and I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm David. And I'm Jordan. And we are Board on the Air. Talk to you next week. What up, gamers? I'm Jason from Dyson Dragons, and today I'm going to be talking about Tokyo Sidekick, Julie and I received the new mini expansion, Akihabara Web, and the Kickstarter promos as we did get the prototype, and we finally got a chance to get this game back to the table. Now, Tokyo Sidekick was one of our uh, most enjoyed games uh, of the year that we got it. I can't remember right now if it was 2020 or 2021. I'm leaning towards 2020. 
Uh, this is a one to four player cooperative game that is inspired by games like Pandemic, and it is published by Little Future in Japan and currently over here in North America by Japan and Make Games and designed by Yusuke Emi. What you will be doing in this game is you will be taking on the role of a hero and their sidekick. Now you can mix and match different combinations of heroes and sidekicks. You'll be moving around the city, stopping incidents before uh, there are too many incidents of certain types. The red and yellow ones that will cause the city to take too much damage and the villains to win the day. While you're also working at defeating villains and then super villains. And then finally the big bad menace that will be threatening the city. Now, in the Kickstarter exclusive promos, you get two new characters, the world creator, the transporter. You get Pupperine and Babblefish for sidekicks. Uh, they're pretty cool uh, in terms of characters. I have to say, though, that both of the heroes feel very much like Kickstarter exclusives and aren't as well developed as the ones that you get in the core game. Uh, that being said, the sidekicks seem very good, actually. Babblefish's ability works out well for us being Canadians. The fact that you need to translate the text into another language on the villain or supervillain cards to not suffer the effects, which is pretty cool. And then in terms of Pupperine, she actually gets to heal one damage every turn from your deck, and you gain plus two attack. So very much thematic to Wolverine and almost a little bit broken, if you don't mind me saying so. While Julie and I did enjoy uh, the Kickstarter exclusive promos, I'd have to say that if you've got the base game, you've got some of the best characters. Besides the sidekicks, I'm not quite sure you need to go try and find uh, this content. Now moving on to Akihabara Web, which is the first scenario, and it is a mini scenario, so you're not going to be getting a ton of new content with the game. Uh, it adds some story elements to it. You're going to be setting up the game pretty much the way you would previously. You'll have to take specific characters with you as they fit into the story and have some special ability cards that they will receive. You are also going to be getting uh, some new menaces as well as uh, a new sidekick. Now those menaces will show up as the story progresses. Uh, the one thing that I will say, and Julie and I will be talking more about this in our review that's coming out tomorrow, I do like the story, I enjoyed it, but it is a little bit long and definitely can make the game drag due to the implementation. From what I understand though, this is the first story expansion that was put into the game. So there is some room for improvement. I really did enjoy the new mechanics. I like the fact that I'm playing Tokyo Sidekick with a story. And hopefully we'll see some more of these expansions coming out in the future. But overall, it's definitely a good start. Now, I don't have that much more to add. This is really going to be a little bit of a shorter segment. But I just want to remind you that you can find Julie and I's review of Akihabara Web and the Kickstarter promos in more detail. You can see the components on our channel, which will be coming out tomorrow. And with that being said, I'm going to remind you to keep playing games. Hello and welcome to the Tabletop Bellhop segment of What You've Been Playing Wednesday. I am Mo Tuzano, the Tabletop Bellhop, your cardboard concierge, working with you to make your game nights better. Now it's been a really busy month here at Tabletop Bellhop Land, and I'm sure there are plenty of games I've played since I was last on the show, but I'm going to stick to just last week, where my regular game group has been diving into a modern dungeon crawling game called The Ghosts Betwixt. 
Now, Ghosts Betwixt is a cooperative board game set in the 90s in America's haunted heartland. You play a family who's trying to find a lost brother who was taken into an old abandoned haunted house. How's that for a premise for a dungeon crawler? While this game features some very Saturday morning cartoon style art, the gameplay is much more involved than you'd expect. Honestly, I was expecting a your first dungeon crawler that I'd be able to play with my kids, whereas instead, this is a meaty romp filled with details and fiddly bits, where the complexity is up there with games like Imperial Assault, possibly even getting up there with Gloomhaven. Now, this, of course, led to us um, discovering quite the learning curve, and I will admit, our first game was very rough, uh, with lots of checking Board Game Geek for rule questions and flipping through the three books that are included with this game. Now, thankfully, the designer of The Ghost Betwixt is very active on Board Game Geek, and due to that, we're able to start our second game running, and things went way better. Now we're at the point we've finished the first mission of six main missions. There's also some side quests that we haven't touched yet. And I've got to say my main group. Now this is the group I played through Gloomhaven with are really enjoying this game. Now I am a little sad that I didn't get to play this with the kids. It's a little too complicated for my youngest. But this is a very solid dungeon crawling game that's not easy. It is taking a lot of cooperation and tactical play during combat to stay alive. And we're really enjoying that. The setting is fantastic and fascinating, as well as being whimsical, and so far the story has us hooked. While we've got a long way to go before I'm ready for a full review, at this point I can recommend checking out The Ghost Betwixt for any dungeon crawler game fans. Just don't be fooled by the Scooby-Doo look on this game. This is a meaty RPG style game with lots of character options, detailed tactical combat, lots of items to collect, and combos to exploit. Now that's all the time I have for today as I'm busy trying to get ready for our four-year anniversary podcast episode that we're recording tonight. So if you happen to be catching this on the day it releases, I do invite you to join us for that recording. We'll be at twitch.tv slash tabletopbellhop at 9 p.m. Eastern. Now it's going to be a pretty typical look back at the last year, our most popular reviews, our favorite games we played, and so on. But we also are going to have multiple giveaways, some specific folk who join us in our chat, as well as a big after-show party to keep things fun. I hope to see you there. For the Tabletop Bellhop Gaming Podcast, I am Mo Tuzano. Good day and game on. Hey there, it's Norm from the Cardboard Conjecture Podcast and Bridge City Board Gamers here in Saskatoon. And uh, let's cut to the chase. And see what the community has been playing. BCB, what you been playing Wednesday? Uh, Eli, a game of unmatched. First time playing three players. All the Hell's Kitchen Fighters, amazing. One game of Marvel Champions, Ironheart and Nova against Claw. Uh, Ironheart is a beast. Cool. I've not played any of those yet. The unmatched. Super curious. Love my daredevil. Uh, Hands. Terraforming Mars, let's just get that out of the way. Okay, uh, Gon's Sean Clever, twice as clever. Clever Cube, he's got a little clever streak going on there. Messina, 1347. Port Royal, Dice Miner, and Teotihuacan. Uh, wow, 
That's a uh, that's a diverse lineup, that's for sure. Uh, Messina 1347. I've seen it. It interests me because of the historical stuff. But uh, uh, outside of that, I'm not too sure what's going on with that. So, uh, yeah. Um, again, the the dice, uh, the clever series is you know very compelling. So wonderful. Dan recently ran three games of Blood on the Clock Tower. It's tremendously fun and engaging. Uh, that's one of those uh, social, uh, I'm not going to say deduction games, but it, uh, it could be deduction. Um, too much conjecture, right? Um, uh, but it's, yeah, one of those group kind of games where uh, something happens and there's some, uh, there's some you know, sussing out. Uh, Jason, I finally got to play some games this week. Two months of no games uh, makes Jigs a dull human. I played Flux and Caesar's empire this week well i hear you jason because my uh my contribution is going to be pretty thin this week because i've been doing some woodworking and i'll talk about that because it's board game related so yeah uh ryan still playing lots of marvel dice throne loving the system and it's so easy to set up and get going uh, into games uh also discover rediscovered our love for space base uh, and may need to pick up the expansions. Uh, space Base, who's a big... Mo, Tabletop Bellhop Mo, loves Space Base. And uh, I see a lot of expansions being played by him. So wonderful. Lane played some Gloomhaven. Nice. Uh, seeing that a lot in my in my uh, uh, list. See, uh, how do you put that together? I've seen that a lot in my listening. No, um, I've been listening a lot to people who are getting back in a gloomhaven and it compels, it compels me. Tim, Kingdom Builder and Five Tribes. Five Tribes is, is oh, my brain just feasts on that chaos. Uh, there's just, it's like a Jackson Pollock painting of choices. And uh, yeah, Kingdom Builder, very cool. Uh, kind of, for me at least, uh, not enough uh, uh, frontal lobe activity going on. And uh, so, yeah, no. But Five Tribes, yeah, I love that. Uh, Ian, Ricochet Robots, QE, and Mystic Veil. Ricochet melts our brains and hurts, but our group keeps going another round with this one. Nice. Uh, I th I, if I'm recalling cor correctly, I, I can see a box cover and it just seems like there's a lot of chaos. Uh, QE. I, th I think that's that bidding game where you can like bid a, a ridiculous amount. Uh, and it's, it's this incremental difference, uh, I believe, that how uh, aids in this game working and finding out who's victorious. And Mystic Veil, the card construction that... Uh, like, uh, um, I'll talk about Canvas, which is same, um, I don't know if it's the same designer, um, I'll have to look at that, but the same concept where you're, you're putting these acetates together to make a complete card or a diverse card. So yeah, right on. Garth, just got Castles of Burgundy recently. Yay! Had a feeling my wife would like this game and that it would be, uh, that it would be complicated enough for me to enjoy with her. So far, I have absolutely loved it. I feel like I have barely scratched the surface. Yes, uh, because I mean, just the way those tiles come out, it's it's a uh, it's not a strategic game. It's a tactical game because for every round, 
these these tiles get populated differently and sometimes that that initiative order matters a lot and sometimes uh, it doesn't matter at all well not at all to some extent on how you're playing and what you're seeing on the board so oh yeah yeah that's one of my one of my favorite uh, Feld games. Macau is another one I love so much too. So Brian, wrapping this up. Camel Up, Dungeons and Dragons. Yes. Space Base Second Expansion. Uh, Camel Up is, I picked it up just recently because everybody's talking about it. It's a, uh, a cool race game and betting game. And uh, yeah, well, and D&D. Come on. I, uh, I have a regular game for the last, Jesus, going on uh, three years now. And uh, with my old group from the 90s. Yeah, I said 90s. Um, nice, nice. Space based second expansion. Uh, dice, gotta love me some dice, and the dice, they hate me. Uh, well, that is a jaunt through the community. What have I been playing lately? Like I mentioned in the, uh, uh, the Bridge City Board Gamer segment, uh, some canvas. Um, and Canvas is divined by Jeff Chin and Andrew uh, Nerge, I believe, uh, published by Road to Infamy Games. And like I said, this is one of those games that uses those uh, acetate cards, like the see-through plastic cards. And uh, on these, so what you're doing is uh, you play a painter um, competing in an art competition, and uh, the objectives for this art competition or the judges, uh, um, you know, criteria. Uh, are, de are, uh, are developed or created by a stack of uh, um, quite a few cards um, of uh, criteria that you have to meet for certain points and certain, sorry, certain ribbons. And um, also those ribbons for, uh, let's say it's, you know, blue ribbon has so many pieces of contrast in your image. Um, and uh, let's say you get one, two, or three ribbons. Well, those at the end of the game, that's where these ribbons contribute to this set collecting point generation system because it's, you know, it's a, you know, come down to it, it's a Euro game and it's victory points. Um, so, yeah, all of these rules like, you know, uh, Calico and, and, uh, and Cascadia, where you have these criteria that you're targeting as you're developing. Uh, uh, these variables together. And these variables are uh, categories, five different categories, uh, like I said, contrast, color. Um, and uh, what you're trying to do is on your turn, you do two things. You either pick up cards or you create a painting. And, uh, and of course, with all these kind of hand management set collecting things, that there are threshold triggers. So, you know, once you get five cards in your hand, you must create uh, a painting with three cards. So, you're trying to overlay these acetates so that they reveal these uh, uh, resources on the bottom of the card that reflect to the judge's criteria for competition points. I hope you're following me here. And uh, uh, um, that, I mean, yeah, it sounds easy, doesn't it? It's not. It makes your head hurt in a good way, though. Uh, but at least for me, some people, this might be just like, oh, why can't you see this, right? Uh, for me, this one is a cognitive mind crunch uh, in regards to all the dimensional choices. And, you know, do I put this on top? It's just the bottom. But if I put this on top, I, I get the bonus. And this bonus gives me gray um, ribbons, which can be wild, right? So there's just so many things. And after, th and the, here's the best part. It plays 30 minutes. 
And um, after someone creates three paintings, uh, the game's over. And um, everybody has the opportunity to do three paintings. It's not like you can catch people off guard. But uh, yeah, this one, uh, I think the frustrating, the, the thing that might be frustrating for some people, if you're one of these efficiency engine players, this is going to drive you bonkers because you're going to keep rewinding going, well, was this the better choice or was this a better choice? There's, there's so, you just pick it, pick it and, and compose the image and, and score because <laughs> it's 30 minutes. That's the best part about this game is that the, there's repetition of play. Uh, and you basically are trying to get the best points out of the, the resources available to you. And uh, it was, it's so much fun. So yeah, that is uh, Canvas uh, by designed by Jeff Chin and Andrew uh, Nerge, published by Road to Infamy Games. And uh, my apologies if I'm mispronouncing names. Uh, and we're getting to that point where I always say thank you so much for listening to what all of us have to say about uh, the games we've been playing. And always thank you so much to the uh, content creators who uh, put stuff on uh, audio and uh, allow me the opportunity to put it all together and give us a big shiny tunes. Yeah, us Canadians know what I'm talking about. Uh, version every week of what we've been playing. So that being said, keep your stick on the ice and take care out there, eh? <laughs>